Coming up on this week's A Lively Experiment, another tough week for Governor McKee as the Philly fiasco won't go away and Tidewater Landing hits a speed bump. And Mayor Brett Smiley faces pushback from his own city council. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, attorney and former Rhode Island Attorney General Arlene Violet, Providence Journal State House reporter Patrick Anderson, and Boston Globe reporter Steph Machado. Hello and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is a week that Governor McKee would probably rather forget the continued fallout from the disastrous trip by two state employees to Philadelphia has become like a bad recurring dream for the governor. While work has ground to a virtual halt at the site of the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium project that he lobbied for and helped approve. Arlene, we'll talk about Pawtucket in a minute, but every week this Philadelphia situation gets yeah. a little bit worse. Yeah. So give me the 30,000-foot view from your chair. <laughs> uh, uh, my concern, obviously, first of all, is the legal issue. Did he or didn't he violate ethical rules? But I really have to ask myself the question, how did we even get to this point? Because there would have been a time that we would have been outraged that a governor meets at a Capitol Grill with people who have a contract but are looking for a $55 million more contract and they're passing campaign checks uh, to the campaign person. I mean, that is, it may be legal, but that is wrong. You cannot have those kinds of uh, less than arm's length interactions with people. So I'm frankly outraged, period, that there was even such a meeting that took place. And I just wonder how we've gone down the slippery slope that we're not even outraged that people People sit down and take campaign contributions out of lunch while they're discussing, shall I give you a $55 million more contract? It's, it's ridiculous. So, folks, for the first time, we're beginning with outrages. We're, so we're flipping it <laughs> out today. Um, and just to set up for people who, who may not have been following during the week, Scout, which is the company that was uh, is, is vying to do uh, business at the Cranston Street Armory, their representatives and a lobbyist met with Governor... Um, I was going to say Dupree. That's <laughs> bad. <laughs> Governor McKee at the Capitol right. Grill. Uh, and there's some question as to what happened. We do know that they made campaign contributions at the end of the day. What Arlene's alluding to is while doing business. Patrick. Well, I mean, remember, the governor's big point is, hey, I didn't know who I was showing up to this lunch with, a lobbyist with, and accepting checks from. Like, he does it all the time. Like, this is just standard uh, operating. So that may be even worse. Yeah, it's yes. like, bring the money. Yeah, yeah right? it's just, I'm just here begging for bucks. I don't know who they are. They, they might be contractors. They might have business with the state. Uh, who's, who's to say? Uh, and so the fact that that's where he's, ar that he's arguing that is, shows that it's not a good position that he's in right now. I mean, look, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world. You know, no no one's uh, you know no one's dying at the at the Cranston Street Armory. It's just a, a building, but it's just showing a, a shining a light on a little bit of dysfunction in state government right now, and just the fact that they can't quite figure out exactly what to do. You know, what it is that they're actually trying to accomplish there, um, and then all of the staffing problems that McKee has had. Um, you know, they've had trouble recruiting people from the minute he took office. And then some of the choices that they've made and the people they've brought in have really kind of blown up uh, on them and had problems. And 
Mr. Patton, who was uh, really the guy who set all this off in, in Philly, was at CCRI. We don't know exactly what happened there, but he had some problem with the administration at CCRI and was basically kicked out and into uh, a job with the state government and given this really big role with the McKee administration. And so what kind of vetting did he do uh, before putting Patton in this role that in addition to the armory, involves millions and millions of dollars yeah, of state they over asset management. They oversee yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, and my, my colleague Brian Amaral asked the governor on, on the, in that same vein, you know, what, what would you say to people who say that you have a problem with the people you're employing? And he had this like very long pause. There's a video of it and he's like, we have great people, we have great people. And I think just the questions about the governor's staff and the people in his administration are going to continue well beyond this scout scandal. And then there's the actual question about, are we going to redevelop the Cranston Street Armory? You know, this this cloud now over this project, um, as some people are thinking it's just not gonna happen. The ethical issue is important, but I also think there's a little bit of a political tin here, too, because the governor, first of all, said, well, I didn't read the email. Well, I mean, wouldn't that's the first thing you want to do is say, yeah. hey, give me the email. And then wouldn't he have gotten out front and said, if it was really this bad, move to separate these guys? And we talked about this last week. You fire them, and if they want to sue, that's a problem. It was almost like we're going to give the employees the benefit of the doubt here. Well, I can understand you have to do some investigation to get to the facts. So there is a little bit of but a hiatus. three months of investigation? Where, right, right. But it should have been, that's exactly my point. It should have been long decided uh, before it became a public issue. But at least I'm glad that he's on a breadstick and water uh, diet uh, since he obviously says he didn't <laughs> go over Cobb $25. Salad or steak, yeah. 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 And yeah. I was surprised when the governor, you know, finally had that press conference that was sort of hastily announced um, when he finally talked about Scout and he said, oh, I apologized to them a long time ago. And I'm, reporters have been asking him, do you owe them an apology? He didn't come out, the minute the email was out, he didn't come out and apologize for what his employees had done in Philadelphia, and it caused a big embarrassment. Well, because maybe he was worried, what are you apologizing for? And he just didn't That's want right. to get into the That's detail. right. That was his take on it was that we had to wait until the investigation was over until he could say anything. I think the last thing, this goes to Steph's point earlier about what's going to happen. I have emails from 2015 about the Cranston Street Armory and great excitement about how we're going to get the community together and get ideas of what to do about it. And the amount of paralysis uh, on this building uh, is just amazing. The, the, the McKee administration, after Raimondo didn't do anything, he has had, uh, since he came in office, he's had Scout there, and they've just been uh, collecting money and coming up with ideas, and the administration can't decide whether they want to do what Scout proposes or anything else. And just the lack of decision-making, of being able to say whether, whether we do this or we do that, we're going to do something, make a decision and actually do with it. It's kind of amazing. How many empty historic buildings are we going to you know, be stockpiling, basically, in the state with no decision on what's going to happen? So when I got here in 1982, the, the Masonic Temple, which yes. is now the Renaissance Hotel. It's across the street. And I said, oh, how, how long has that been? Uh, well, they stopped during the recession. I said, in 70 years, they couldn't have figured out for office space. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got all, it's a whole nother issue. Uh, 
Arlene, from the politics standpoint, how does this cripple the governor? Oh, I use the word cripple. Does it cripple the governor? Yes. Doing other things now. Yes, this is another example where he's like a moth to the fire on the, on the candle. He keeps going so close to that. He doesn't come out, and, and when he should speak about things, it was reminiscent of how he handled the silver matter in his administration. He's got a problem, and for some reason, he's not forthcoming when he has the obligation to be forthcoming, and it does politically hurt him, and it should politically hurt him until he stops flirting uh, with flying, you know, flying close to that fire. Patrick, you've been writing about the Tidewater Landing uh, issue, and now we find out, and look, this was troubled from the start. It's the soccer stadium, and it was supposed to be a much larger development. They put all their money toward the soccer stadium. The governor was the deciding vote, pushing it over the finish line. Well, now economic times have changed, and it looks like work has ground to a halt up there. And I asked McKee about that. What's he going to do? And he was actually very clear yesterday that he is not going to, at least at this point, uh, bail them out uh, at the soccer stadium, the developer. The developer is going to have to come up with the money. Now, they've been trying to come up with the money for months and months now. So something has got to give. Either you know, some white knight is going to come in and finance this thing, or there's going to be a half-built soccer stadium in Pawtucket at some point. And the and state I, money is the last in. We should let people yes. know, but it's not a good look to have this right. like And well, the, union, the unions who yeah. were really key in getting this project approved and getting it moving, the construction unions, they are calling on McKee to put that state money in now, even though the private money is not all lined up. And so there's also that conflict. But he is so far, at least, at least as of yesterday, resisting that and keeping the public money out until all of the private money is in and they know that they can finish it with the private money. But I don't know what's going to happen. Of course he has to withhold the public money. We've, we've been there. This is the same old tune over and over again uh, in this administration and past administrations. If we build it, they shall come. No. There's a mechanism. Keep the mechanism you have and keep the state money out of it till they get the $10 million they're looking for. Privately. Yeah, I think the question is whether the stadium and the ancillary development around it, if that happens, is when will it actually bring the revenue to sort of cover the cost of the construction? So that's what I'll be watching yeah. for. If a white knight doesn't come in that's a private investor, that's a very important key of how va valuable the, pro the project is to start with. I mean, they have 10 home games. You know, I feel badly, by the way, for the developer. I'm rooting for them now, although I thought it was an improvident decision to make initially. I, ho I hope they get the money. I feel badly they've sunk $30 million into this. And did nobody I feel bad for Pawtucket, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. they lost the pot socks. Mm. Now they're supposed to have this big new soccer team and, and things seem to be in doubt. It's sort of like one hit after another. Maybe Gr city. Mayor Grebbian should have run for Congress after all. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it all behind. Yeah. The other thing too is going to Bryant to play there. I, I know they needed to find a place, but, and I don't know what all the discussions were, Bryant may have the best facility in the state. Go to Pierce Field in East Providence because your your demographic. Who's going to find Bryant? I it's have a hard more, time it's visibility. Just the marketing that you'll get from yes. being in and around Providence. It's, it's people won't see it as much in Smithfield. I think is a real issue. Um, yeah. Patrick, let me stay with you. Uh, you were up to the wee hours of the morning a week ago. We're glad that you were. Uh, you know, <laughs> you had an energy bar and came in this morning. Tell me about your thoughts about what made it and what didn't with the General Assembly and any surprises at the end. 
end of the session in your mind? Not really. Um, the last couple of years, and this was definitely an example of it, uh, all of the power players, uh, the threesome, are really working together and kind of a team. Uh, there isn't the back and, as much of the back and forth push and pull uh, as there usually is. Governor, House Speaker, Senate President. And the Senate President, right. So you know, they, they, they aren't fighting as much. <coughs> you, you, there's a natural tension and they negotiate and horse trade things. Um, there's not quite as much of that. So there wasn't as much drama as, as there is in, in some years. Um, and, you know, there really weren't many big surprises. Um, you know, and a lot of the stuff got done earlier in the year. Um, I mean, it came at the last kind of things were, uh, were, the, uh, were about the casino game, the online casino gaming, um, and then the big housing package. And, and we knew both of those things were going to be left to the end, but they were going to pass. So, I think the biggest disappointment for some is the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights, which wherever you stand, they've been talking about this for years. So yeah. Joe Sicarci says he hints at it, and then he says, we ran out of time. Every single year I'm told this is the year we're right. doing it, and the problem is that they cannot come to an agreement, even though the majority of people say that this police misconduct law needs to change. Some people want it to go away altogether, but most people think it needs to change. They can't come to an agreement about how exactly to do it. And what happened was this Senate bill came out at the last minute, but the, the sponsor of it, Ana Quesada, took her name off it. And then the two House sponsors, um, Ray Hall and Jose Batista, said, I don't support it either. And so... You know, three, those are three lawmakers of color who were leading the charge on this. It would have been very odd for the House to go ahead and pass this new Senate bill, and then the session ended. Yeah. My biggest disappointment is the failure to get rid of the payday loan matter. Mm -hmm. To me, that legislation and the fact that it exists is the very antithesis of what it means to be a Democrat. I mean, nothing uh, compounds the cycle of debt than a 260% interest rate uh, for people who need an emergency loan like that in the short time they get to pay it back. So I, you know, I don't know what the Senate president uh, is thinking, but I just think it's a darn shame that the Democrats didn't act like Democrats and, and it, get rid of that. It got farther than it ever had because, you know, Bill Murphy, former House Speaker, yes. was always the one. And yes. this time Lobbyist I thought, oh, too. it's going to finally get over the goal line, and, yeah. it, and it didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I just think it was theater. Yeah. And it was never going to happen, but I just hope they get a grip on what it really means to be a Democrat, because no Democrat worthy of that name should allow 260% interest rate on some of the poorest people that are living here in the state of Rhode Island. Shame on them. There were some drunk driving bills, too. Some made it, some didn't. What was the update on that? Yeah, um, mo most didn't. Um, a couple, a couple did, um, but the um, there, there <coughs> were a big, a big rally from some of the uh, parents of um, of drunk driving victims. Um, but th mostly, they were about extending sentences a little bit further, um, and um, and the big, the big ones on on that didn't didn't really go anywhere. They will be back again next year. Um, there wasn't any one that grabbed everyone's attention. They were all extending sentences a little bit, um, and there wasn't anything that, that really uh, was, that, that lawmakers thought was going to actually change things, uh, you know, on the roads 
significantly. Yeah, and on this set several weeks ago, the Senate president said he thinks that it needs to, an assault rifle ban, that was the big one this year, he thinks it needs to be national, before, you know, what would it make a difference with Rhode Island? So I mean, that's it, the last stand of kind of the, the, the gun rights uh, yeah. folks in the General Assembly who support that. If, if, if that goes, that, you know, that will kind of be full and total surrender on that issue. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on the on the uh, session? Fourteen billion dollars? <laughs> yeah, I mean the budget is just totally out of control uh, for a small state uh, like Rhode Island and uh, both Steph and Patrick have mentioned bills uh, that should have passed, the gun legislation, etc. So, uh, I, you know, every, everything's always next year. Manana, manana should be the theme song up there. Alright, a lot going on in the city of Providence. Nice to have Steph Machado. Now, for those of you who have been watching lively the Chiron usually says WPRI now it says the Boston Globe so congratulations <laughs> you're you on the so Globe much. team same Thank contacts you. I assume you don't have to change your Rolodex <laughs> right exactly, exactly. Um, so tell us what the, the mayor's got a lot on his plate for <coughs> mayor met Brett Smiley tell us he's got budget He's got uh, PVD Fest, and what's the third thing we were talking about? Um, oh, the teacher's contract. So let's start with whatever you want. Yeah, well, let's start with the budget because that um, could be signed into law by the time this um, show airs. Um, you know, the, the mayor came out with his first ever tax and spending plan and, and proposed to raise taxes on Providence residents. So that got a lot of people's hackles up. You know, the city had a tax increase last year, um, not for everyone, but for because of the revaluation, you know, especially in the poorest neighborhoods. It was a de facto increase. Yeah, it was an increase. It was an increase. Even if you don't, if you don't, if you don't increase the rate, and in fact, they had to lower the rate because of the, right. the values going up, up so high, but they still raised taxes on a, a large number of people. And so you saw, especially city councilors, including ones who had, you know, supported Smiley in his mayoral run, coming out and saying, I can't vote for this. You know, my constituents uh, won't support this. So they did come out with a compromise. The taxes are still being raised. If you live in Providence, you are getting a tax bill next month that will be higher than the one you got last year. Um, but it's just less of a tax increase than what Smiley had proposed. Yeah. Well, on, on the teacher contract, I just want to know, with the 44% who voted against it, why? You got a 10% increase for a 30-minute extra time. So I would love to hear from those people yeah, why I've, they voted against to, it. I've talked to a number of them, and, you know, part of it was they're being told to work an extra half hour every day, and then plus every other week this 90 minutes after school professional development. So for a lot of them, it was just personal. It was their family schedule, their child care schedule, and, you know, they, they're getting a 10% pay increase but they're working 10% more. So they're getting paid for the time. The question is, yeah. though, so that's a one-time. They're using yes, the, the COVID, COVID money yep. or whatever it yep. is. What happens a year from now? So a lot of teachers I've spoken to are very skeptical that the school day will go back to what it was next year. Now, I've read the contract. It is very clear that both the extra time and the extra mm -hmm. pay sunsets after one year. So they will have to negotiate in ne next year on what's going to happen next, but it, it, I, I understand their skepticism. Once you get used to having more learning time, why would you take it away? Patrick's lobbying for extra time for his daughter in his community, oh, right? Always, <laughs> maybe oh, an extra three more. hours of school, right? Keep <laughs> her in school. Yeah, no, no. I mean, one thing that's interesting in Providence is is how the mayor, who's seen as as very kind of um, centrist, moderate, um, corporate leaning, is working with the city council, which has moved left uh, over the years and is yeah. more left than. It's been in a while, but maybe that will work. There or wasn't not. Like, a 
do you of, see there? So there like, wasn't a lot of drama. I mean, the Igliozzi, Igliozzi Alorza era of budgeting, right, was warring <laughs> press conferences, veto threats, you know, personal attacks. I mean, this was very collegial, um, at least from the outside. And, you know, the council president did, did not even comment on the mayor's proposal, and she's very progressive until they had a compromise that they were ready to all vote on. And the vote was nearly unanimous. Only one person voted against it. Um, I've covered budget votes that were, you know, eight to six, eight to seven, nine to five, you know. So they got it all worked out. They got it all worked out and they got more votes than they've gotten on the budget in years. So I was, I guess, I won't say I was surprised because I know the personalities of the people involved. I think that's the what's really yeah. Drives it. They're they're not combative personalities, but like you said, you've got a much more progressive city council than than the mayor. But at the end of the day, he knows he's got to work with them to get the votes. Exactly. The one thing, kudos to you also, they didn't release the contract until, yeah. uh, you want to talk about she that? Na- yeah, right. thank you, Steph Machado. She nagged them, uh, it, not really nagged. But we no, should have to nag. They finally, they finally. She embarrassed uh, them. Right. I, I mean, and again, what's come to, what's happened in the state that you sign a contract or you pass a contract and nobody knows what the terms are until after the fact. And I understand when they say we need the membership to vote on it, they give us some talking points. It's passed, it's there, it's public money, public everything. John Wright. Yeah, and this was after the teachers had ratified it and they yeah. still weren't releasing it. And if you remember two years ago, the big drama was that they didn't release it before the teachers ratified it because Mara Lorza felt like the public should get to see this before it's it's final. Yeah, and and the General Assembly did pass a bill to require the contract to go to the K-12 Council, which is like the state, you know, governing body for education, as long as the state takeover of the Providence schools is still ongoing. That law went into effect a couple days (laughs) after the teachers ratified the contract, so I'm not entirely sure, and nobody will answer me at this hour, about whether they are definitely going to bring the contract to the K-12 Council, but the purpose of that was to try and ensure that there was some kind of public discussion about how to spend tens of millions of dollars. And I could not get any explanation from anyone about why they wouldn't release the contract. It's a public document. I was told, oh, I'm asking legal. I don't, there's nothing to redact. There's nothing for, Right, you know, and legal referred you. It's, it's the uh, old you shell know, game. I, yeah, it, it was, I, I went to the school board in person, asked every single official I could find, why won't you give us the contract? They discussed it in executive session, which, if you don't know, that's like behind closed doors. No answers. I know it's over, and we'll have to look to the next session. All of the proposed for the uh, changes to the access to public records went down. But any legislature watching this, you know, look, sunshine is always the best disinfectant. The the good example of that is the email, and that that Peter Nerona actually took on yes. and said, and he put it on the fast track. So Arlene, explain the significance of that. Well, obviously as Attorney General, he is the hobbinger of what has to happen when there's open records, uh, open meetings, et cetera. And he did his job and kudos to him uh, for insisting that that be released because it was a matter of public record. So uh, I'm pretty high on Peter Nerona for lots of reasons, not the least of which uh, is his standing up Uh, for us having the right to know what's going on in government. All right, let's do uh, outrages and or kudos, and we'll see whether we can wrap up some loose ends after that. Patrick, what do you have this week? Well, the outrage is um, Narragansett Town Beach. The parking along the seawall will no longer be free. It was one of the last Hmm. places where there was a... I mean, you had to pay to get on the beach itself, but just being able to go and park there 
was one of the few places really in the Northeast where there was a big beach where you could go and you didn't have to pay to get there. And now it's, you pay at, you know, to park at the meter and then you have to park to get on the beach. So that kind of lack of access to the uh, to the beach continues and, you know, as, <laughs> at the time when they at, yeah it happens yeah. at the exact time when they've passed this big shoreline yeah. access bill that uh, supposedly will allow you to walk along the shoreline if you can get there hmm. not to mention how much the Dells is down at the beach it's pretty it's a budget <laughs> buster yeah. Steph what do you have this week okay I'm gonna go with the kudos because I don't know if everyone knows this, but the reason we all know about the Scout email and this entire scandal is because of local journalists. My former colleague, Eli Sherman, was the first to report on the email's existence, and then Eli and the Providence Journal's Kathy Gregg fought to get it released. They had to, you know, take on the McKee administration and all their lawyers and everything in that appeal, and, and as Arlene mentioned, um, the AG's office, you know, ruled in favor of the journalists, and that's why the email got out, and that's why everyone knows about this story. So kudos to local reporters. Absolutely. Well, it's what we started with in a way, uh, what's happened to ethics, you know, in our society today. Uh, I'm extremely concerned, obviously, about the information about Judge Alito. Uh, at, at least 10 cases have appeared in front of him of that, uh, uh, the oligarch, I call him, but the billionaire writer's guy uh, that gave him all these plane rides. He wrote a scathing Wall Street Journal defense of himself. Alito did, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and saying, uh, oh, that seat would have been empty, so therefore there was no value to it. I mean, such sophistry uh, with that kind of argument. And of course, this follows on Judge Thomas. And for me, all the, all the branches of government seem to be breaking down, whether it's Congress or the executive branch, but his judges. And for them not to have any leadership on ethics issue to me uh, is deplorable. It weakens and, the credibility uh, of the court. And, and, and this credibility all, all, you know, Biden inviting Prime Minister Modi. The guy couldn't get into this country in 2002 because of his human rights record. And then they laid out the red carpet for him Thursday night. The Sun. Uh, what has happened with that case? I want to hear more from those whistleblowers as to whether the misdemeanors seem to me uh, obnoxious. So the, the, it's just a whole breakdown of ethics and people doing the right thing. Okay, okay so quickly, uh, the last couple of minutes, we haven't talked about CD1. It's a, it's a snooze fest, and the uh, signing deadline is coming up. Now, Arlene, last time you were on the set, <laughs> you, uh, you, you set uh, social media fire because you were considering a run. You've since decided not to. Do you have any major announcements today that we uh, need to know uh, about? Uh, no, no, I'm not going to announce the president. Oh, Okay, you're sure. You're not going <laughs> to. I'm positive I'm not, but right. I, it, it's really sort of a lackluster race right now. I guess it's because it's summertime and nobody pays any attention anyway, I guess, during the summer. But I, obviously, this is going to be election based on name recognition. What do you make of this race? It, it's just a snooze fest, and it's, what are we, three months out from the, uh, from the primary? Yep, a lot of candidates, not a lot of uh, issues that are generating heat, uh, not a lot of personalities that are generating heat. I mean, I think. Sabina Matos uh, and Aaron Regenberg are the two ones that are, are, are at the front at the moment. But since no one has consolidated anything in this race, and right now it's looking like uh, small, mar small totals of votes uh, could win it, and, and, there, and the actual campaign and, and advertising and all that stuff hasn't even happened. Yeah. still up in the I air. wonder how much, we get all the press releases, how much do endorsements 
Do they make a difference at all? You hear so and so, so and so. I don't know how much the voters care about it. I think the candidates it gives some of the top tier candidates legitimacy, especially when you're trying to separate yourself from 17 other people. If you have a million endorsements and this person has none, at least it makes it look like you know people support me. I'm a, I'm a top tier candidate, but unless candidates start dropping out and endorsing each other, it's going to be very hard for voters to decide between all these people. You can't have a debate with 17 people. Um, and like you said, it's summer. I'm interested to see how much people start talking about rank choice and all these different types of voting methods mm. if someone is elected to Congress with, you know, 15, 20% of the vote. Quickly, endorsements. Yeah. Organizational, it's important if you're a union or whatever, because you get money and you get people, and they all go out and vote for the endorsed candidate. So in that context, yes. Okay, great point. Folks, thank you for joining us. That is all the time we have. Patrick, thank you. Get some sleep. Arlene and Steph, good luck with your new role. We'll be seeing more of you thank on this you. set. Folks, thank you for following us. Come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.